Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Before I begin, can you give me a time limit? 20 minutes? Okay, excellent. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salam ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Thumma ma ba'd fa'a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Inna allaha ya'murukum an tu'addu al-amanati ila ahliha. Wa idha hakamtum bayna al-nasi an tahkumu bil-adl. إن الله نعم يعذكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا رب الشحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ثم أما بعد I'd first like to take a minute or two and express my appreciation for the effort that all of the volunteers and all of the workers at this wonderful organization at ICNA have made to make this conference possible those of you that were here last year are seeing an unprecedented amount of growth and that's from the blessing of Allah a lot of times these people's efforts and them running around and making 20 calls about where I am or you know whether I'm on stage or not etc goes unappreciated and it's really something that we all have to be grateful for so inshallah ta'ala let's all give them a round of applause and appreciate what they're doing for us Secondly, inshallah, uh, I want to make an admission and that is that the topic that was given to me, the objectives of Sharia, a Quranic perspective, is beyond my scope. And I want to make that clear, uh, in a very, and not out of humility, but it's something that I think Muslims need to be very clear and distinct about. A lot of times in the Muslim community, especially in a community that's trying to find itself, and we're really trying to figure this religion out for ourselves, almost afresh in this modern setting and in this very American setting there's a lot of intermixing between different ideas and different strata what I mean by that is traditionally there has been a distinction between scholars and da'is people of knowledge people of scholarship and people that invite people to Islam they give reminder they give counsel and they speak to in the language of the people these are two different categories of people but in our times, more and more, these two categories have mixed in with each other. What I mean by a scholar, I need to tell you, is someone who's really literally given up their life to study, to sit at the helm of other scholars, to research, and to really dedicate themselves to specialize in an area within the large ocean of Islamic studies to become a resource in that area. Sharia is one of those many areas, and within Sharia you have several seas and oceans running. And then you have people like myself, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying this out of humility, this is a reality check. There are people like me who claim to be da'is, who may know some things that we have learned from scholars, but by no stretch of the imagination or reality are scholars ourselves. We are da'is. And what a scholar talks about, and the subjects and the issues that a scholar deals with, are at a different level. And what a da'i does is completely different. It really is, it's completely different. A da'i's job is to take from what the scholars say and then reiterate that and communicate that to the masses of people while, and here's the important thing, while understanding their limits. A da'i needs to understand his or her limits. There are certain areas within Islamic studies that is, it, this is personally my conviction and I'm wanting to share it with you, at least this can give rise to a healthy conversation, inshallah ta'ala. It's my conviction that a da'i should not enter into discourse about scholarly issues that lead to conflict 
or that lead to very intense differences of opinion that are really only suitable for scholars, that are beyond the scope of someone like myself. I'll give you a practical example so you know what I'm talking about because it seems like I'm talking in theory. Somebody came up to me today and said, brother, I have a mohawk. Is that halal? Because my friends tell me it's haram. I said, I don't know. He said, come on. What do you think? I said, I think something, but I won't tell you. <laughs> He's like, so you're saying it's haram, right? I said, I didn't say that. I would never say that. Why won't you tell me? Because I'm not a scholar. Ask a faqih. That's not my field. And even if I went to ask a scholar for you, I wouldn't tell you. Because fiqh issues, it's dangerous when people who aren't qualified start talking about them. It just gets dangerous. And we start, I mean, I've seen like 18-year-old kids at MSAs pass fatawa about what's halal and what's haram. Fatawa about the length of people's beards or, you know, whatever else or whatever kind of food they're eating. And these are issues that people that study the same issue for 20 years still don't say with absolute certainty it's this way or the other way. Watch yourself. Understand your restrictions, your limitations. This is why it's really important for the da'i to be connected with scholars so when people ask a question that's literally above your pay grade you say talk to him here's a number go ask them here's a council here's a board here's a, here's a resource talk to them but then the question arises what does the da'i talk about if the da'i can't talk about this stuff then what's he going to talk about there is plenty to talk about the the fundamentals of this religion the fundamentals of this religion that are supposed to be communicated to non-Muslims and to Muslims alike. This is the job of the da'i. Reminder is the job of the da'i. To instill in themselves and into others a reminder of Allah's authority over us. A reminder of the paradise that's, that awaits. A reminder of sticking to justice no matter what. A reminder to be good to your family. A reminder to fulfill the rights of your neighbor. You don't need a scholar for that, you need a da'i for that. That's not necessarily a scholarly endeavor. And you don't need to be a scholar to address those fundamentals. So we need to first of all define very clearly what a da'i is and what a scholar is. And you know what's happened nowadays? Let me tell you your definition. For many of you, you know what your definition is? Your definition is if the guy speaks well and cracks a couple of jokes and has a lot of hits on YouTube, he must be a sheikh. If a few Arabic words come out of his mouth, he's got to be a alim. He's got to be a scholar. He's got to be a faqih. It's not like that. We have to have a more refined and more mature understanding of our leadership. Dua, da'is are a part of our leadership, but they're not at the top of this leadership chain. There are scholars above them. And we need to respect these, these, these lines. And you know what happens? Here's the danger that has come before us and might even affect us. The danger is when we start elevating our da'is so much that they start thinking that they're scholars. They start believing that really they have, they're qualified to speak about issues that they shouldn't be opening their mouth about and man what that leads to you probably have seen at your local masjid what that leads to what kinds of drama ensues after that and then when a da'i becomes like that and now people come to and ask them what's halal and haram and they get used to they get kind of a high in answering those kinds of questions and then a scholar comes along they say well that guy you know he's a little this way the other and almost a competition ensues within those who represent, those that are ambassadors of Islam. It's a very sick thing that can happen in a Muslim community where speakers are bad-mouthing other speakers because they feel like it's taken away from their market share. <laughs> Subhanallah.
And that happens. It's happening in the Muslim world, and don't pretend it's not happening here. My topic was the larger objective of Sharia, and I started by saying, when it comes to Sharia, I have to learn how to implement it in my life, learning it from scholars. But to talk about Sharia, you better learn to listen to a scholar. But on that note, in a general sense, in a da'wah sense, I want to share with you two things. Two, two places, both of them come from the same surah. This surah, by the way, subhanAllah, Allah Azza wa revealed this beautiful surah and it gives us a very comprehensive picture of social ethics, social norms, social values. And this is Surah An-Nisa. Surah An-Nisa is a very beautiful surah and giving, delivering to us anecdotes, wisdoms, counsel, advice, laws that, that are the foundation of a healthy Muslim community. And within that framework, Allah Azza wa revealed a lot of laws about inheritance. I mean really complex laws about inheritance. If you even read a translation of the Qur'an, you're gonna read it four or five times on certain ayat and still say, what's going on here? I wrote, out, I wrote down all the proportion and it still doesn't add up to me. Because this is complicated stuff. At the end of all of that, Allah says something very profound. His concluding remarks. That's what I want to share with you. Allah Azza wa says, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُبَيِّنَ لَكُمْ Allah only intends to clarify for all of you. وَيَهْدِيَكُمْ سُنَنَ الَّذِينَ مِن قَبْلِكُمْ وَيَتُوبَ عَلَيْكُمْ and to guide you to the path of those who came, the legacies of those who came before you, and accept your repentance. Listen to this very carefully. In the Christian tradition, there's this concept. I had a chance to take a flight with a pastor recently, and we just got into a conversation because he saw me reciting Quran in the plane. Uh, you might think that's a bad idea, but I make it a habit. So I, I do that, and I, usually I try to review whatever Quran I memorize on the plane, but what ends up happening is before I get past the first page, I pass out. And then I wake up after landing, you know. <laughs> but this guy didn't let me go to sleep. He goes, what you got there? This was a flight from Houston to New York, so hence the accent. What you got there? And I was like, the word of God. <laughs> he had the Bible in his hand. He goes, me too. <laughs> and I said, tell me about it. Let's talk. I just, I spent a three-hour flight just asking him questions. He got really annoyed with me at some points, but I tried to keep it very friendly. And I just asked him, what happened to all that law? You guys have a lot of law in your book. You know, what's the point of it? He goes, well, the point of it was to cleanse us. These are his words, not mine. The point of it was to cleanse us. But now that the blood of Jesus has been spilled, the blood of Jesus cleanses us, so the law is no longer what cleanses us. Now, there may be different denominations of Christianity, Christianity, I acknowledge that, but this was the particular brand that I was speaking to. Now, here's something that we have in common with them, originally. The, the laws of Allah purify us. Salat is a purifier. Hajj is a purifier. Zakat is a purifier of what? What is zakat a purifier of? Your wealth, the rest of your wealth. Zakat is a Salah is a purifier of your nafs. It's a purifier of your day. It cleanses your day. These things, and Hajj is a purifier of your minor sins. Sharia is there to purify you. So Allah can accept your tawbah. So your repentance could actually mean something, so He gave you the law. These acts of obedience to Allah, its primary objective, according to Allah, is that they would purify us. But then He added something even more beautiful later on. He added subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end of this commentary, he says, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ أَنْ يُخَفِّفَ عَنْكُمْ 
Allah intends to lighten your burden, take a load off of you. And the human being was created weak. Allah tells us Sharia, the law that was revealed upon us, the purpose of it was to take a load off of our shoulders. Life is hard, here's a bunch of rules that'll make your life easy. Think about that for a moment. How many times have you heard, I said this in a previous talk, how many times have you heard when you see a commitment, you know what the talk is around them when most Muslims are, you know, that, that aren't that serious about religion, when they see a committed Muslim, they say, that's a strict Muslim. That's like, that guy's like hardcore. He's like really like, you know. What do we associate with Sharia? Anybody committed to Sharia must necessarily live a life of difficulty. They're really hard on themselves. Muslims feel, non-Muslims feel like that, you guys are so hard on yourself. You know, you, why are you live such a miserable life? And even Muslims nowadays feel this way. Why are you, you know, okay, we're all Muslim, but why do you have to be so strict? Why do you have to be so, you know, so narrow-minded and take away, you can't have any fun, everything's haram. First of all, not everything is haram. Second of all, the laws that Allah revealed to us is to save us trouble to take burdens off our shoulders. And when we abandon those laws and pursue solutions elsewhere, we end up in bigger trouble than we thought we could ever end up in. I'll just give you a couple of simple examples. And I don't want to make this an elaborate conversation. It's a 20 minute conversation. And it's just food for thought. I don't really call this teaching either. It's just a conversation really. That's all this is. And as part of this food for thought, I want to share with you a simple, simple example. I see a lot of uh, desis in the house. Desis? Show of hands. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Okay. I'm Desi too. Okay. I'm. So we have our weddings. You give an advice to a family: don't have an elaborate wedding. Don't take a loan out of thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars to pull off this insane wedding, this ridiculous party that's going to have like eight different sessions. It's like the playoffs. Every day is a major event. Right? There's the Mehdi, Mehdi part one, Mehdi part two, reception, reception and a half, and then, you know, then this thing, then that thing, and this shower, and that shower, just, nikah is just simple, nikah walima done, right? Keep it simple, but no, we gotta go all out. And why do we have to go all out? Because your cousin had a better wedding. And if we don't have that kind of wedding, how are we gonna show our face? What's your uncle gonna say? What's your grandmother gonna say? What's this one gonna say? What's that one gonna say? What people are going to say drives you so insane that you put yourself in insane amounts of credit card debt and this family, this new family that has just started starts their life in debt and they're getting as presents they're getting like 30 blenders of $100 gift cards and on top of that they inherit something they're paying off for 2-3 years no wonder, you know one of the main causes of early divorce is financial distress and you're starting a married life with financial distress. Who put that burden on you? And look at the sunnah of Allah's Messenger Easy, straightforward. A really good friend of mine, Imam Isa from Roosevelt, Long Island. I was at his masjid one time for Asr. I was waiting for Maghrib and his brother walks in. Shaykh, I gotta do a nikah. He goes, okay. He goes, alright, can I come after Maghrib? He was like, fine. So I was like, oh, I gotta watch this. I gotta see this. After, after Maghrib, a couple of people walked into the masjid, maybe eight altogether. The guy himself, the, the guy getting married, came in with an apron dirtied with blood because he sacrificed his own animal for the walima that they're gonna have after Isha. Within 45 minutes, the affair was over. We hugged each other, celebrated and done. That's a wedding. 
man, that's how simple our deen is. It's a thing of beauty. You know, it's a thing of beauty. But when we complicate it on ourselves and we bring all these problems upon ourselves, stress, nastiness, how many fights and arguments you remember happened at the time of the wedding? How many arguments? How much nastiness? This one said this, they said you didn't get us a hotel room. And we didn't get a first, you know, chair on the first row. And that one was saying something about your dress and all this dumb stuff. And we make our lives hard with it. Allah says the intention, the objective of these rules, make your life easy. You were made weak. The human being was created weak. Simple objectives. The last thing I want to share with you, and I'm done inshallah is that another place in Surah An-Nisa. Amazing, it really is. What are the three branches of government? Well, come on. Somebody here went to high school, I know it. Okay, executive, legislative, and? Listen to this, listen to this, okay? Islamic law is basically a constitution. Allah commands you that you give trusts to those who deserve them. And the highest trust in society is governance. It's a form of trust. The same way leading a family is a trust. Being in charge of a company and being an employer is a trust. Being a teacher is a trust. Being a principal is a trust. Being a CEO is a trust. Being a physician is a trust. Being a mayor and a senator and a are trusts also and the first thing Allah makes sure we understand that the executive should be clean these positions should be given to those who deserve them that's the executive principle and he says same ayah when you make decisions between people execute those decisions with justice what is that what branch of governance is that justice and it goes from the bottom up when you make decisions between brothers within the family, between your children, husband and wife, neighbor, friends, Muslim community, conflict in the masjid, within business partners, between teacher and student, and all the way up to governance when you do so. Whenever there's a decision-making capacity, make sure you abide by justice. So what's already been covered? In these brief statements, you've got the executive and you've already got the judiciary. What's left? Legislative. Where does legislation come from? The next ayah. Subhanallah. Those of you who have iman, obey Allah, obey the Messenger, and those who have been given authority among you. How concise. How concise. The entire summary of the law of Islam. You obey Allah, obey the Messenger, and those who have been given command among you. And if you fall into dispute, return it back to the Constitution, Allah and His Messenger. Simple as that. Simple as that. In one place. This is the clarity of the Quran. You don't have to go all over the place to find the most comprehensive lessons. Allah, you know, He summarizes them and squeezes them in a handful of ayat, in very brief statements. And we have lessons for life in them. I pray that Allah Azza wa Jal helps us appreciate the objectives of this beautiful deen and helps us become those who not only love to obey Him, but love to see the day when these principles become a fabric of our society, where we actually see the benefits that it brings to humanity come to light. Inshallah ta'ala, may Allah make all of us people of justice. May Allah make us people that stand by those who are, that the messenger looks at sallallahu alayhi wasallam on judgment day and looks at them and is proud to call us the members of his ummah. May we be, may, may we be part of the source of the pride of Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam on judgment day. Barakallahu li wa lakum, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
الله تعالى أنزله ورسوله 